Hello, how the tech are you? I assume everybody on the panel is doing tech and great because I've asked a couple times now and it's the same every time. Same yep. every time. Yeah, good, good. Well, this is our weekly tech show on Echoplex Media. We talk about tech, technological stuff and sciencey stuff and whatever we feel like doing this uh, each week. Um, oftentimes we cover news. I usually cover news stuff and anything I'm interested in this week. Uh, this week, this week I have some science and I'm going to start teaching some stuff. So specifically I, my first topic is monkey pox. Oh my God. We're all going to die. Not really, but mm -hmm. I'll cover like what's happening and, and you know, why or if we should be worried about that. And then my second topic, I only have two topics today, is learn to lisp part one. And my goal with that is to teach AKHK an actual programming language. <laughs> In the pink mic. I am HK Perrin, and uh, I cover mostly software development news. Uh, and I've got two... Uh, very interesting stories that are actually a few weeks old, but uh, they're both big news, and one has to do with uh, something that I ran into recently. Uh, I'm going to cover NextCloud 24 releasing, and Brave and Chrome both getting a Flatpak version on Linux. And over to Dave. Very cool. Um, I'm interested in uh, NextCloud. Maybe we can uh, maybe we can roll a next cloud and uh, do our show notes on next cloud next time. I think we can do that. Anyway, today I just got two stories. We got Ubuntu twenty two ten, the non LTS, the next uh, iteration of Ubuntu is switching to Pipewire, and I got HP shipping a laptop we're calling the Dev One, features System seventy six as Pop OS, which is really really interesting. Cool. And uh, you can find all of our other podcasts just by typing Echoplex Media into your podcatcher. Uh, make sure that you also follow our YouTube channel, uh, like and subscribe, and uh, follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Echoplex Media, to be terrified. All right. I guess I get started with my first topic on monkeypox. Oh, my God. So if you haven't heard the uh, monkeypox, a... Viral disease is going around. Uh, it usually it originates in Africa. Uh, specifically, it's an animal transmitted disease that comes from the forested areas of Central and West Africa. Usually, it stays in that area most of the time, but we've uh, seen some cases all over the world, and it's a little bit worrisome. Uh, Monkeypox is a relative of smallpox and produces similar symptoms but milder so it's a little bit scary since smallpox was such a big deal luckily smallpox was completely eradicated unfortunately monkeypox is not and but uh, it's not quite as bad so there's two different versions of monkeypox one is from west africa and has a fatality rate of about one percent and that is the one luckily that's that's spreading i'd say luckily because the other one the other version of monkeypox 
is from the Congo, and it has a quite staggering 10% fatality rate. And so we're, we're lucky on that so far. It doesn't normally spread between humans, so directly human-to-human uh, transfer. And um, we're not sure what's going on right now. Though it's called monkeypox, uh, the main car- carrier is actually thought to be rodents. Um, that's why we have it in the United States occasionally, because it gets in some rodents sometimes and can spread that way. It has been known to spread between humans before, but it's been very limited. It only, I think the longest chain that has been recorded of monkeypox transmitting from human to human was about six people. And then it stopped, you know, it stopped transmitting. Um, at this stage, so what, what's happening right now as, as currently spread, um, there are 23 cases in Spain, 20 in Portugal, surprising 17 in Canada, nine in the UK. The US has one case. Italy and Sweden each have one. That's um, from a few days ago. I didn't see any updates, but um, so it may be more or less cases at this point. Not sure. Now, this is not a huge number of cases, but they're not sure how it's spread or how, how people are getting it. And they're really worried that it's human to human transfer. Right. The, the concern here is probably if, if people are starting to get it, this concern is probably that it's spreading in the rodent population and that as people That's get it's possible too. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah, at least the, my concern would be that it's spreading in the rodent population and that people are going to, as they come into contact with rodents or with other things that come in contact with rodents, they might more and more people might start getting it. And that's, that's, uh, yeah, that's terrifying actually. Cause I saw some pictures that's, of it and I didn't scary. like the way that it looked. Um, it looked, yeah. looked like something you don't want. Yeah. You know, if it's a relative of smallpox though, uh, wouldn't, or, uh, does the smallpox vaccine have any effect or is it different enough that, the smallpox vaccine wouldn't work. I on think it. it's different enough that the small part smallpox vaccine doesn't work. Okay. I'm not positive on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how hard it is to make a vaccine for monkeypox. I, I'm guessing it, it probably be a pretty similar method, uh, but we'll see. So, since we don't know how it's spreading, even though it's a little scary, like I don't want to like jump to any conclusions. It could be just people who have visited Africa recently have been spreading it like to a couple people around them and it's not going to go any further um, or something else. So it's still pretty low level. It's something to keep an eye on. Probably not something to get too worked up about right now. Yeah, not at this time. Not at this time. Cool. Any other questions, comments? No, it's too early days, I think, for us to really spend a lot of time talking about it. As as skeptics, you know, we're maybe, and considering some of the other things we've been talking about during the pandemic, maybe it's best to leave it at uh, just the facts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
uh, I saved this newspaper from like January 2020 because of like the impeachment. Uh, I was like, oh, that's notable. I'll put it in the save pile. And then like later I was looking through it and I found that newspaper and in like this really small section in like the bottom of the paper, it was like, oh, by the way, there's this virus that's going around China that's a little concerning. <laughs> like just this tiny little blurb. I was like, oh yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, I think people are, this is kind of a bigger thing right now because people are worked up about COVID-19. Um, again, we'll keep our eye, eye on it. Tell you any updates if any, if it gets worse, but at this point, um, you know, all the usual people are on it, you know, the who and everything is uh, taking a look, but nothing to be concerned about right now, but def they're definitely watching it. And I guess if people would like to see what kind of lies folks are telling about it, they can watch our Twitch channel just about any yeah. night and we'll be <laughs> covering whatever. I'm sure there's plenty. There'll be plenty of people. There's pr already plenty of people lying about it. And we do cover that kind of stuff on uh, basically every other show we do in some way. So, yeah. So moving on to my next topic, learn to list part one. So this is, I want this to be a series um, I'm definitely not going to be able to cover all of Lisp in one very short segment here, but I, I kind of want to do like multiple parts to it. And, uh, the goal is to, you know, it's not really to teach you how to write Lisp code because that would take way too long and there's too much stuff to cover. Mostly what I want to cover is like the interesting features of the language and why you should like learn it um, and program in it. Maybe not all the time, but uh, when it's appropriate, cause it's fun. It's interesting. It's one of those kind of languages that you learn in it. When you're done learning it, like almost everybody says their concept of programming is totally different after, you know, <laughs> learning the language. Isn't that though, just because it's like, it's a functional programming language and most people are not used to functional programming. That's part of it. Yeah. There's more to it than that, than that. Uh, I'm not going to get to it entirely in this section, but I want to get started on it. So, uh, I guess I should start with our XKCD cartoon. Do you have that up, Dave? It is up now. Yay. Yay. I want to read it real quick for the people who are, uh, listening in and not actually watching the video. So it's XKCD cartoon. The first panel this guy's talking. I think it's his name is Q ball. He says Lisp is over a half century old and it still has perfect timeless air about it. I wonder if uh, cycles will continue forever. The, the few coders from each new generation rediscovering lists, the Lisp arts and the final panel there's like a Jedi looking guy holding a, a huge stack of parentheses <laughs> and he, he's talking to another uh, stick figure and he says, these are your father's parentheses, elegant weapons for a more civilized age. Which is really funny if you know this, <laughs> I guess it's uh, too early for that, but it, it was a fun one. So um, I assume the next image is up because Dave's showing it. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, 
So Lisp is actually the, uh, the second oldest high-level programming language that was ever made. The, uh, the first high-level programming language was Fortran. So there, and there was a number of low-level languages that were made before it. It was created by John McCarthy. He's the guy that should be on your screen now with this wonderful uh, uh, meme that I found image kind of one of those demotivational posters. So it's a, a black and white image of McCarthy with big lettering under it says programming. And then the subtitle is you're doing it completely wrong, which somehow seems appropriate, but it was great. Lisp was created in 1958 at MIT. It is based on Lambda calculus. If you're deep into programming, you probably have heard of Lambda correct calculus and has probably used it before. Um, beyond the scope of this section <laughs> to try and explain it. Uh, it's, it's, it takes some work, but, uh, it was originally not actually meant to be implemented. It was kind of a, a research link. It's not really research language, but like, it was just kind of like a concept, uh, that was, you know, that John made, you know, wrote up in one of his papers, but Steve Russell uh, took the the paper and implemented the first interpreter on IBM on the IBM seven hundred four, uh, and it was suddenly a language and people used it. Um, and then from there, Lisp was adopted by the machine learning slash AI community. It has to do with uh, John McCarthy was very big in or in the AI community, machine learning community early in the days of, of, <laughs> of AI and machine learning. And, uh, there's some question over whether that was a good or a bad thing. Um, but you will actually see stuff from Lisp in a lot of machine learning, uh, and AI stuff. I think it's kind of going away now cause, uh, it's a little more abstracted away now. Um, but it'll, it'll still come up sometimes. Any questions so far? Comments so far? Huh? No. Uh, huh? Yeah. <laughs> There's no, all background. There shouldn't even <laughs> shouldn't be too confused on that. No. Um. I. <clears throat> I. I just think it's interesting that maybe it was like just uh, somebody's idea or like a like a paper somebody had put out or whatever, and then uh, somebody at IBM took it and implemented it. That's that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what an IBM seven hundred four is, but it's probably. Much, I actually don't either, but it's I bet one it's of the old big computers. I bet it's much larger than the computer I'm using now. <laughs> Probably. Uh, it's one larger than the IBM 703. <laughs> <laughs> so going into the actual language, I'm, I'm just going to cover, to keep this really short, I just want to cover functions. And not even like making a function we're going to look at calling a function because it's one of the most unique things about Lisp. And the first thing that you'll, uh, you'll find uh, when, when trying to program in it. So in most languages, when you want to call a function, let's say the function is named sum, and you want to send the, the numbers three, four, and five to sum. And of course the function sum will add those numbers together and return the result. Pretty straightforward. So in most languages, what you do is you'd have the function name first, 
have an open parentheses and then you'd have three, four, and five uh, put in, in the parentheses, separated by commas, probably some spaces, make it a little easier to read, and then you'd close the parentheses. Pretty straightforward. HK, I'm sure that's like every function you've ever called, right? Um, no, in fact. No. Uh, <laughs> You, it's not just functions, it's like operators too. Yeah. So it's well, treating a function that, like but... an operator, which is kind of what we do. Um, I mean, there, there are certain times where you could do that. You could certainly do that. Uh, like the yeah. math.min is kind of an operator. Uh, but like in Lisp, everything is an operator and everything is a function. No, everything's a function. Yeah, but I mean, like operators are functions, and yeah, and but yeah. So like, get it gets really weird when it's like parenthesis plus three, four, five, close parenthesis. I was going to get to that. You're ruining where I was going, but oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so in Lisp, to call a function, you basically move that first parenthesis to in front of the function name. So then it'd be parentheses, the function name sum. And then the, the parameters, which are three, four, and five, and then close parentheses. And that is a function call. And you'll notice like one of the odd things is you actually drop the commas. Um, I don't know in common list, but I know in like enclosure, which is a Lisp that runs on the JVM, commas are actually white space. So you can just put as many as you want anywhere you want. Um, but most people just leave it off. Uh, that's it, a little bit odd, but kind of made sense. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's how you call a function. And it looks kind of weird because what you're actually doing, you're not just like calling a function, but to the, the Lisp interpreter, what it's doing is you're creating a list. The list is denoted by the parentheses. Every time you have the parentheses, you're creating a list. And the list contains the function sum and then the number three, the number four, and the number five in order. And after the interpreter reads in that list, it knows to evaluate the list by taking the first item out of the list, assuming it's a function, and applying the rest of the items of the list as the parameters to the function. And that's it. And that's Lisp. And that's kind of like the fundamental thing about Lisp. Um, that's why it's, that's even why it's called Lisp. It's not what I have on the screen, which I'll tell you in a second, but what Lisp actually stands for is list processor. It's short for list processor because you're just, all you're doing is you're making lists and you're processing those lists. It does not mean what I actually have up here on the, the screen. Lots of irritating superfluous parentheses. That's a backronym. <laughs> So Lisp is essentially written in Polish notation, right? Uh, yeah. I was, trying to, I was trying to remember if it's reverse or not. <laughs> and it's not reverse. Yeah, reverse would be like you have the operator the after the, yeah, the operands. So, Personally, yeah. I think Polish notation makes more sense than uh, yeah. like what we usually do where we say like three plus four because in the in the term three plus four 
your operator can only ever have two operands. But lots of operators can take way more than two operands. Yeah. Yeah, so the plus operator, which you mentioned before, uh, the function sum, as far as I know, I didn't actually look this up, but I don't think that actually exists in Lisp. The But because you have the operator plus, which does exactly the same thing, um, so it would be open parentheses plus, and then the numbers that you want to add together. Uh, and that is how you add stuff together. And then you don't really have to worry about order of operations because you don't have these, you know, random operators that are, have like infix notation that can be confusing at times and you have parentheses all the time. So, I mean, it's just nested function calls is basically doing a complicated, you know, operators or complicated math. Right. Yeah. You never really need to know order of operations because yeah. it never comes up. Nothing is ambiguous in list. So that's Which all I wanted to it, cover this time. It's uh, pretty short, um, but we'll go in. And my plan is for part two, we'll talk about a few things about uh, a little bit about functional programming and some stuff that's nice that Lisp has that makes it easier to do. And the reason why everything is in parentheses and is functional like this. Because that should yeah, be the next uh, question, right? It's uh, it's really nice. There are a lot of really nice things about the way Lisp, uh, like the way you write Lisp. Yeah. But it's very confusing to someone who grew up in America learning the way that we write our math. Uh, yeah. You know, it's it, really confusing. I think if you definitely if you've used other function functional languages, so. Functional language means a language, a programming language based on functions for all our listeners out there who might not know. doesn't just mean that it works. <laughs> it's functional. Um, well, it also means that f the functions don't have side effects. That's not what it means, but that is something you want to strive for, yes. <laughs> Isn't it all functional languages? The, you, can't, like you can do functional the, programming in non-functional languages. So but. you want to strive for making functions that do not have side effects. And that's something I wanted to cover in the next section. Okay. Um, and we'll go into more detail next time, but I just want to say that you cannot write a program that is only functions without side effects. Because if you tried to do that, all that would happen since you have no side effects is your computer would get warm. Of course, the joke is that's also a side effect. So that that's not allowed either. <laughs> <laughs> all right fair enough that's all i got beginning with list oh i actually one more thing uh i don't want to get anybody's hopes up but i am working on a little project that uh, i'll hopefully do some live streaming list coding for anybody who wants to get a little bit more in depth on uh, uh on the workings of list and it see my and hopes not, have been maximally raised not to uh not to not to give too much up or whatever, but it's going to go along with, in a way, another thing that uh, HK has been doing a little bit of live coding with. So should be a lot of fun for uh, <laughs> yeah. people who uh, are interested in one of our other projects. So, yeah, his his last live coding session was definitely his inspiration. 
But I do want to say I'm having some trouble getting stuff set up. So that's why I haven't uh, started anything yet, made any plan, any hard plans yet. Um, but I'll let you know. Well, great. Maybe my segment next week will be on uh, what Matt should do to get OBS set up to stream. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good one. <laughs> so who do we have next? Are All right. Stay? So uh, this week I have two really cool new releases. Uh, one is a new version and the other is a new distribution method. Uh, so the first is Nextcloud 24. Nextcloud is a really cool, uh, what would you call it? Like a personal cloud provider. Uh, basically, if you think of Google Drive plus Google Calendar plus Google Contacts plus uh, uh, like it's got uh, various add-ons, things like uh, inbuilt chat. Uh, it's got, it can work with an only office server it doesn't include an office server but it can work with an only office server so you can integrate that uh nextcloud is really cool and i use it a lot uh to manage files for my company uh and to manage my own contacts uh, and my own calendar so i don't have to rely on google and if google ever decides hey that that nice account you've got be a shame if someone were to get rid of it like facebook decided <laughs> uh i wouldn't have to worry because i own all my data all that data that Nextcloud holds is in a server that's like 50 feet that way so that's really nice Nextcloud is really nice and Nextcloud is built on top of php and php recently had a new version called php 8.1 uh it's the it is the version that shipped on Ubuntu Server 22.04. And I didn't know that. So I went ahead and upgraded that server that's over there to Ubuntu Server 22.04. And Nextcloud stopped working. So if you, if you have recently upgraded your Ubuntu Server to 22.04 and you have Nextcloud and it stopped working, that's why. And what you need to do to fix it is install PHP 8.0 and then upgrade to Nextcloud 24, which just came out and added support for PHP 8.1. Once you're done with the upgrade, you can get rid of 8.0 and reinstall 8.1 and you'll be good to go. So uh, PHP 8.1 uh, is no longer a barrier to upgrading your Ubuntu server if you have Nextcloud. Or I should say Nextcloud is no longer a bar barrier to upgrading your server uh, if you use it. And uh, make sure that what you do is you upgrade first to Nextcloud 24, then you upgrade your server to 2204, Ubuntu 2204. Uh, so basically this, this uh, version, along with adding support for PHP 8.1, uh, it's mostly efficiency and performance improvements. Uh, there's less load on the database. Uh, I think there's less memory used. Uh, it's, it's, it had basically a, a lot of performance improvements on the existing features. It didn't have many new features, which is nice to see Nextcloud working on that. Uh, I was reading recently a review where someone was like, yeah, it seems like Nextcloud just adds a bunch of features and they don't really 
work on the ones that are there. So it was really nice seeing this. And I agree. Uh, you know, it was really nice to see them prioritizing efficiency and performance for this uh, for this release. My next story is about Brave and Chrome. Uh, if you use Chrome like most people, uh, and you use Linux like very few people, <laughs> you probably use Chrome from either uh, your package manager or you have Chrome installed as... Uh, I don't think... Is it available as a Snap? I think it's only a Deb, at least for like, a, okay, like yeah. Ubuntu so you, users. You, yeah, there's no, there's no Snap. Okay, so you probably use it as from your package manager. Yes. Uh, and Brave, for a while now, has had a Snap. Uh, it's a community-maintained Snap, so it's not part of the Brave project. But neither of these projects, Chrome nor Brave, was available as a flat pack. Uh, and it's been years that people have been asking, hey, how come this isn't a flat pack on both Brave and Chrome? Uh in, on the the issue that uh, that was in Brave's GitHub repo, that issue goes back three and a half years, and the the reason that Chrome and Brave weren't available as a flat pack, the the actual underlying problem, is that Chromium, which powers both of them, uh, has its own sandboxing approach that did not play nicely with Flatpak's sandboxing approach. Uh, basically, you couldn't nest the two sandboxes. Uh, so there's a project called Zypak, spelled Z-Y-P-A-K, that lets you work around that issue. It intercepts those calls to from Chromium to create a sandbox, and instead creates it using Flatpak's sandbox. Uh, which, it's really cool that uh, that, that is available now and a lot of the electron apps that i like to use that require uh sandboxes are now using it which is really awesome to see and uh through a community effort and the FlatHub team both helping to solve this issue brave and chrome are now available on Flatpak, which is really awesome to see and because brave was a snap and I use brave instead of Chrome. Uh, cause I, I do need to test soft. I need to test the things that I write in blink. So I have to have a browser with blink installed and I choose brave, uh, for that purpose because that was only installable as a snap on, uh, on arch and therefore also Manjaro, which I use, uh, I've been using Snap for years, you know, because of that unfortunate fact. And now, since Brave is finally on Flatpak, I just last week was able to finally remove Snap from all of my PCs. So the only thing that has Snap still on it is my server, which is Ubuntu server. So I'm fine with that. Cool. Um, <clears throat> I use Brave um, for when we stream because it's such a good browser for when we're streaming because it blocks all the ads. It doesn't let anything autoplay. Um, we do have some problems here and there with the uh, random like local news sites, not their player not working. But 
I don't get any ads on YouTube from it. So it's like, it's such a useful tool, not just for me as a streamer, but anybody who kind of just wants their browser to stop these websites from doing things without you telling them to essentially brow brave is like a really good tool for that. And more ways for more people to get it is good. I know a lot of people don't like snaps. I don't, I try not to use them, but it's for a different reason. Um, a lot of times the, the pulse audio that's built into the snap doesn't play nice with the jack. And so I end up having problems with that, like getting it to work right with the bridge, with jack, with the bridge from pulse audio to jack. And so that's why if I can, if I can avoid it, I don't use snaps, but it's not for the same reason. Everybody seems to hate them for some reason. I don't even care about them. I like my carry around laptop. I couldn't tell you like whether or not things are on a snap, but, um, you know, I just wonder like if flat pack is, maybe better at uh some of the stuff where snaps fall down it seems snaps just and and my my use case is like a re, like an edge use case right there's so few people doing what i'm doing with audio on linux so it's for most people it doesn't matter but it's good it's good and uh also installing brave uh from a ppa is a big pain yeah uh it's been it's been like really way too long that that it hasn't worked uh, as a flat pack. So I'm really happy to see that it finally does. Yeah, and if anybody out there hasn't tried Brave, I can't recommend it highly enough. Yep. All right, I guess it's my turn. All right, so that's it for me. Uh, Dave, why don't you go ahead? All right, cool. Um, so the first story here is pretty simple for 22.10. That's the next version of Ubuntu that's coming out. It's not the LTS. Most people aren't going to use it because you, if once you start on, like if you do 22.10, you'll probably have to go to like 23.04, 23.10, and then to the LTS at 24.04. But uh, it's nice to see that they're switching to Pipewire um, for all Ubuntu distributions. They're, they've removed Pulse Audio and from 2210 and along with GStreamer Pulse Audio integration and it's being replaced with a Pulse Audio to Pipewire bridge so people's Pulse Audio applications will still work but it'll be running through Pipewire and um that's we use bridges from Pulse to uh Jack here and uh hopefully the bridge from Pulse Audio to Pipewire is less fiddly than the bridge from Pulse Audio to Jack cuz we have some uh, fiddly problems here with that every once in a while um yeah, I'm looking forward to it. One of the th neat things I think is going to happen that nobody has really talked about in the articles I've seen is we may end up seeing a situation where there is no longer an Ubuntu studio because Pipewire will probably just replace Jack as well. And so then people will be able to do the kinds of things that we do in Ubuntu studio without having to install a specific, like specialized version of Ubuntu to do it. Um, I don't want to see the Ubuntu studio project go away, but I, it, with, with Pipewire uh, coming down the line and with this thing they have called Wire Plumber that does basically the same thing we do with Jack, it'll almost make Jack redundant in a lot of people's setups. So I, I, I unfortunately, I see it maybe having a detrimental effect on the Ubuntu Studio project, but in the end, it's better for everyone, even if it kind of is like the end of an era or whatever. And I could be wrong. The Ubuntu Studio team never like ceases to amaze and they can maybe find new interesting ways to implement pipe wire along with jack and so we'll see 
that was uh and that that was my first story i don't know uh i know hk you've kind of been following pipewire a little bit yeah uh a while ago manjaro switched to pipewire so i'm running pipewire right now and i have no issues with it uh oh good i never really had issues with pulse audio so um you know, it was a pretty transparent change, which if you're going to change a major part of an operating system, having it be transparent is a pretty astonishing feat. So, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, my next story is about a piece of hardware. HP is going to ship a laptop they're calling Dev1, and it's uh, obviously aimed at developers based on the name. Um, and it's going to be si shipping with System76's Pop! OS, which is kind of surprising because a lot of times... Uh, Anytime these companies actually have been putting machines out with uh, Linux on it, it's tended to be just vanilla Ubuntu because the canonical is a big company. There's a huge community. There's just a lot of documentation, but uh, this is good because system 76 has been building Linux laptops for a very long time. And I think uh, they're getting some of the kind of recognition they deserve, even though I'm not a fan of HP devices and I tend not to buy them myself. That doesn't mean that this isn't good. And here it is, the laptop. It looks like every other laptop. So that's good, too, actually, that it doesn't look weird or funky. It looks, it looks a lot like a, a Mac. Um, there's a lot of similarities there. Yeah. At least it's silvery as opposed to It's got a nipple mouse. Black. It does. That's interesting. I haven't seen anyone do the nipple mouse except for the, uh, the ThinkPads. My, uh, my Dell Latitudes all have them. Okay. Your Dell and Latitude had like it. Are those real mouse buttons on the the trackpad? Looks like it because they're there for the the. They're not at the bottom though. They're there for the um. They're there for what the little nipple mouse. Yeah. Um, it's around eleven hundred bucks starting. It's got an eight core mobile Ryzen Pro processor, a Radeon graphics. Starts at sixteen gigs of memory. Uh, starts the minimum uh storage is a terabyte of NVMe. And it's got a nice 14-inch anti-glare screen. And I think even though this is aimed at developers, uh, Pop! OS is super user-friendly for new users. And I think this is going to end up being a pretty good first Linux laptop for a lot of people if people buy it and if it's available. Because I know there's supply chain issues and whatnot. And this might not be the top uh, priority for HP. So we, we'll have to Those see. Those are some really, really high specs, too. For like 1100 bucks, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's a really nice machine. It didn't say I couldn't find anywhere what the graphics were, and I'm guessing that it's uh on the it's I'm guessing that it's an APU, that it's not discrete graphics. Yeah, if it says it's a mobile Ryzen Pro, uh it's probably one of the four thousand series Ryzen's. Uh like a forty eight hundred U. And that's a integrated graphics chip. It's still not bad. We're not, we're not going to stream on it anytime soon, but it'll read the hell out of your email. <laughs> oh, you could play games on that. Yeah, for sure. Like that's their their APUs are really good. Uh, with you know, I've got I've got a couple systems that have like the the integrated Vega graphics, and they're like they're not as good as like a sixteen fifty, like a GTX sixteen fifty, but you can still certainly play games on low settings uh, sometimes even medium settings like I could play uh, 
Like I, I had one with a, a Ryzen three with integrated graphics, and I could play, uh, I could play GTA with like medium settings. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of HP uh, hardware uh, primarily because I used to, like, w one of the things we used to do a lot of at uh, my day job was get thousands of laptops and resell them and like the hp laptops were just never in good shape like the like some of the lenovo's and dell's were even though they were coming from the same places generally the same use case the build quality just tended not to be as good but uh yeah this laptop looks great i don't know 1100 bucks if i if i was looking to spend 1100 on a laptop that's a pretty good machine yeah and based on uh Based on what it says, the core count is, and I, I just looked at the page, it says an AMD Ryzen 7 Pro processor. Uh, I'm guessing... Oh no, it's it's not a 4800U, because that's not a Ryzen Pro. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the difference is, like a Ryzen Pro on a laptop. I'm not I'm not up to date on the hardware stuff anymore, so it's I don't know. It looks great. Like if, if the battery life's good, it's going to be a good machine for a lot of people. I don't see any reason why yep. the battery life would be bad. So yeah, those, those Ryzen, the Ryzen chips are really nice, uh, in terms of battery life. Uh, they're not quite on the same level as like the 12th gen Intel chips. Uh, but they'll, they'll certainly beat like the, the 10th gen Intel chips. And again, that $1,100 price point is just going to be like really attractive to a lot of people who want a machine for work, but don't want to break the bank or whatever. Yep. Huh, that's it for my segment. That was, that was two stories, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. It was good. We kept it nice and tight-ish. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, yeah. Not, not too bad. A little, little over 30 minutes. Read us, somebody want to read us out? Oh, HK's uh, uh, reading us out in turn, so go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for tuning in. And uh, we, we put out this show every week on uh, sometime Wednesday afternoon-ish. Uh, and if you're watching this right after it came out, come check us out on Twitch. Uh, Dave and I do a show called Intellectual Dollar Tree there. Uh, if you like politics and left-leaning politics, uh, check us out. Uh, we start at 7 p.m. Pacific. That's twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. Uh, and check us out on whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And uh, check, it, check us out at echoplex... Is it echoplexmedia.com? That's correct. All right. Check out the latest story uh, in the Defamation Times by uh, Professor Q. He's a sociology professor. And uh, I don't know why he's slumming it on our blog. And remember to like and subscribe, uh, leave us a review, uh, mail us gifts, uh, <laughs> stalk us. Uh, no, don't do those last two, but the other ones you can.